are the Holy One. Um, one who is like no other. Beautiful in majesty and in power. Filled with love and grace. And today we worship you. And we come before you now, Lord, to hear from the voice of God. And we pray that you will speak, make it clear, make it known to our minds, and more than that, Lord, to our hearts, so that we might respond to your word uh, with joy, with gladness and faith, and with an eagerness, Lord, to honor you, to serve you in all that we do. So, Lord, now we invite uh, this in our lives, and we look to you to minister to us again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. Well, we're going to start a new series uh, today, uh, one that I've been looking forward to preaching for a while. I work on these, as you might expect, at, uh, some distance ahead of time. We're going to call it God at Work. Well, that conjures up all kinds of questions in your mind. It's a series that I think uh, a, a lot of people will... Um, value, I hope, and find meaningful. I wonder if the men in the church might value it a lot. I, I think it has application for men and women, obviously, you'll see, but I wonder if the guys will really like this one especially, because I'm going to talk to you for a few weeks about work. And a lot of guys care a ton about their work, right? I know a lot of women do too, don't get me wrong. Sometimes they're in a guy's life, though, Man, that work becomes almost everything. It's my means of purpose and meaning and significance and so on. But I want to talk to everybody here about work today. I want to talk to, to, to the idea to, uh, that, that I think often people grapple with and don't necessarily have an answer to. The question is, how do I connect Sunday morning with Monday morning and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday morning? How do I connect my faith with what I do at work? How do I bring my faith into work? You know, a lot of people talk about work as ministry or work as mission, and I think when people think about that, many times they just don't get it. They don't understand what this actually is and what this looks like. And the Bible brings a very distinct, uh, clear view to the topic that I want to share with you over the next couple of weeks, a few weeks. And I hope it has significance for you as the followers of Jesus. You know, when most people are asked this question, how do I connect my faith and my work? They're, how do I make work ministry? How do I bring my faith into my work? There are a couple of answers that emerge quickly in people's minds. Number one is the potential for evangelism. I'm with those people a lot, you know, about a third of my life, you know, a third we sleep, a third we work, a third we're doing other things with family, etc. Uh, maybe there's the potential for me sharing my faith and them coming to believe in Jesus, and that's true. Other people th th think of a, a, another answer that's common, the second answer, and that is, you know, when I, when I go to work, I have to live a moral life. You know, I, I, have, to, I have to live an example, if you would, in, in the way of Jesus, so where other people are, you know, gossiping and backbiting and, and maybe cheating or stealing. I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm going to have a different perspective. I'm going to function differently in a moral realm and a moral way, and that might have impact for faith, I hope. I think while both of these things are true, these answers are literally only part of the answer to the question, how do I do this? How do I, how do I make my work an expression of faith? There is so much more, and I want to begin to share that with you uh, today by starting with a basic understanding of work from the Bible's perspective. Um, and it starts with this. Work is a good thing. 
What do you think about that? You know, I think there are a lot of people who, when they think of work, they don't necessarily think positive thoughts. It's like a burden to be born, to be carried. It's like some kind of punishment in life. It's something that's a negative as opposed to a positive. It's something they wouldn't do if they didn't have to do it. I went uh, online and I looked for some surveys, and they vary a little bit, but one survey that I thought very credible and reflective of others says that 47% of Canadians don't like work. They don't like what they do. Now, to begin with, that's a bit sad, right? Because <laughs> you have about half the population not really enjoying something that is so much a part of their existence. 33% of Canadians, same survey, are happy or somewhat happy with the work that they do, but half aren't. Good news is, on eight industrialized countries that were surveyed, Canada's at the top of that list. 70% to 80%, depending on the survey of Americans, dislike their work. That's huge, right? We're the best in terms of the negative response. But even so, half of our population doesn't like work, don't want to go to work, doesn't have fun there, doesn't necessarily find it meaningful, wouldn't do it, I suppose, if they didn't have to. You see, that's why people play the lottery. Because what most people do when they win the lottery is quit their work because they don't have to anymore, right? It's something that, they, that could be avoided. You know, the idea of, oh, you know, we've got to look forward to and put money aside for retirement, and that's not a bad thing, I get that. But, you know, the, the idea that retirement is going to be fantastic because you won't have to work. It's like it's an all negative thing. It's, it's something that we don't celebrate. It's something we don't enjoy. We want to get away from and stop doing as opposed to something other than that. Where are you at with that one? I don't know. But I want, you to, I want you to listen to these things that grow out of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Uh, there's so much powerful teaching in Scripture in these first two chapters in so many ways. But I want to tell you, God is really busy in Genesis chapter 1 particularly. And do you know what He's doing? He's working. He's creating. He's exerting energy. He is active. He is busy. He's accomplishing something of great significance, of course. Genesis 1, verses 1 to 3. Let me read it to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Other translations talk about the, the, the reality being a chaotic reality. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God got busy to work hard to produce something of incredible significance and then you know <laughs> i want to tell you um he was making something both for him to enjoy and for us to enjoy and i want you to listen to this text at the end of chapter one moving into chapter two genesis one verses 31 to two verse three god saw this is after he had made by the way what you know the, the sequence he made you know the 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 the, the uh um, I'm looking for the, the sequence that's in here and I'm not finding it. But, you know, he made the, 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 the earth and he made the skies and he made the, the sun and the moon and the stars and he made the vegetation and he made the animals. And ultimately, he created human beings in this first sequence, this first chapter one description of, of the creation itself. And then this is what he did after essentially that was completed and was being wrapped up. Genesis 1 verses 31 and following. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. He says, oh, this is awesome. This is beautiful. This is right. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work. Note the word he had been doing. 
So the seventh day he rested from all his work. There it is again. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he, on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I want you to understand, God embraced work. God took this thing by the horns and he engaged it and, and, and he accomplished something through it and he enjoyed it in the end as he stood back and he watched it. What does it mean that God worked and that God enjoyed work? It means that work is good. This is something that God has done and is a good thing. And, and, you know, I want to tell you, God continues to work. John 5, verse 17, really interesting verse. Jesus speaking in his defense, won't describe the context to you. You can go and read it if you want afterwards. Jesus said to them, my father always is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. <laughs> work is good. And, you know, as I dig into these, these teachings that arise out of Scripture, I realize that probably a lot of us need a paradigm shift. We need to start to think very differently, not just about what I'm telling you today, but what, but what's going to follow. And if there's one thing that you've got to take a hold of is that work is, a, is to be a blessing to us. It's a good thing that God did. And he, he invites us into, and that's our next point, God gave us work to do in Eden. Uh, and, and in this early expression of Scripture, Genesis 1 verse 28 God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, really important uh, what that word means. And I'll come back to it in a minute. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in, uh, in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What's God getting at? Be fruitful and increase in number or be fruitful and multiply. Some texts say, and then fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish, etc. You know, a lot of people think this ruling over idea and this subduing idea is about dominance and control and it's for us to do with as we wish. Really what it's about is this idea is that, you know, I'm giving you this dynamic. I'm, I've created you to enter into this, this thing, this world, this, this society, this culture which I have begun to form and I'm inviting you to join me in the creation of what yet has to be. Has to be. It, it's something that God is saying, you know, this work is not yet done. Fill the earth and subdue it. You know, point number one in terms of the work given to us, Genesis 2 verse 15 says this, the Lord, the Lord God took the man, this is Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden, Eden to work it and take care of it. The first job Adam had was to be a gardener, to produce fruit on the tree, a farmer if you wish. You know, there was work to be done in Eden. And then Genesis 2 19, listen to this. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. God gave work to Adam to do to name all the creatures. You see, God is, God is saying, Adam, you now exist. I have work for you to do. And I want to tell you, and it's so, so important to remember, work is part of paradise. It's part of the ideal that God created before sin came into the world, before all the negativity and destruction and harm which uh, sin would bring. This was God's intention for us to join him in what he was doing, to accomplish something incredibly good and to experience it as something incredibly good. Work is not a bad thing from a biblical perspective, nor is it to be in the perspective of a follower of Jesus. Work is not a negative, work is not a burden to be, to, that we have to bear or some kind of punishment that we have to endure through life. That's not the idea, according to God. And I got to tell you, the fall did happen. Sin entered into the world, chapter, uh, chapter 3. Adam and Eve disbelieved and disobeyed. And work became difficult in some ways. 
Let me read chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. This is the comment that God makes to Adam. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through, now remember, he's the gardener, he's the farmer. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit, uh, food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. That's not really positive, is it? Anybody experience hassles at work? <laughs> I do. The people who work here do. You do too. And instead of work being this experience of joy and bliss, as it's intended to be, it's almost like, Ugh. And that's why sometimes we develop this negative perspective toward work, but I want to tell you this, and I want you to hear it loud and clear. It is God's intention, as with everything else in creation, to redeem work under the rule and the reign of Christ, to reverse the effects of the fall and of the power of sin so that work can again be a blessing in our lives, a gift of God to be celebrated and enjoyed. That's what this series is about. How do we redeem this thing that we engage in so much that God has given us to do? So number one, God worked and it is good. Number two, God gave his work to be a blessing so that we might share in his, his work. And number three, listen to this, God commands us to work. Did you know that? I'd never read this verse from this perspective before. It's amazing how many times I go to scripture and God shows me something new. But listen to this, Exodus 20 verses 9 and 10. This is part of the Ten Commandments that uh, God gives to his people. Six days you shall labor. <laughs> it's like, whoa. <laughs> I always read it about the next part. And do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. I always read this text and thought about the Sabbath day and the, the day of rest that we're supposed to have and, and, and how it's a blessing to us. I talked about that last week and I hope you're engaging in it today and you don't have chores to do and there are no burdens or responsibilities to carry. You're just going to enjoy Christ and you're going to enjoy his people and you're going to enjoy your family and you're going to take a break and you're going to completely step away from all the burdens and the challenges of life. We're all planning that today, right? I mean, I preached it last week, so I assume you're doing it. But you see right here, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Here's a really important question for you. Why does God command us to do anything? Really, really important question, I think, biblically speaking. Why does God command us to do anything? He commands us to do what he tells us to do because he loves us and he wants to bless us. And I can say to the depth of my being, if you haven't figured that one out yet, you're just at the beginning of the journey and you've got to move forward. God, the commandments of Scripture don't come as this burden to destroy our lives and to take away our freedoms and to cause us to do what we don't, want to, we don't want to do so that it's all about this struggle with God and we're going to resist and we're going to do our own. No, the commandments are of God flow out of heart of love for us and He commands us to do what He commands us to do because He loves us. He loves you. And anything he tells you and me to do, he does so because he loves us and he wants to bless our lives. And the wisdom that grows out of Scripture finds people embracing those commandments, doing what God says, and experiencing life to the full in Jesus as an expression of faith. When God comes along and he says, you, you, you got to work six days. I think of that, I think of five days of work, and I think one day to kind of do all my chores, and I, th I think of the seventh day to not do any chores and tasks. <clears throat> and for us to form our lives around that dynamic. 
But I want to tell you, this is, this is what's going, in the crea- going on in the creation account. We are designed for work. God made us that way to, to be productive, to accomplish things, to make a difference in this world, to do what God created us to do. Do you get it? As a positive, as a blessing. Let me say this. Work is one of the ways that we are to experience meaning and purpose in life. That will come to us as a blessing as we engage work in this way. Try being somebody who wants work but can't find it week after week after week, month after month after month. Have you ever been there? It's demoralizing. It's demeaning. People start to question, what's wrong with me? Why can't I accomplish? Why can't I put food on the table? What's, what's going on? I want to tell you that while we, while we do find meaning and purpose in work, we've got to understand work is not our meaning and purpose. God is. And if we make work our meaning and purpose, if we think we exist to work, it simply becomes an idol to us. It, it, it becomes that thing that, that, that we love more than anything else and that is our primary purpose in life, that thing for which we are living. And I want to tell you, that's idolatry for the follower of Jesus. A lot of people fall into it. Hard-working, good-intentioned people fall into idolatry at this point. Because you see, the reality is that God and God alone is the one whom we are to love before all else. God is the one whom we serve. God is the one that gives us purpose. And God is the one who gives us meaning in life. But I want to tell you, meaning and purpose also comes in life as we join God in the ongoing task of creating this society, this culture, as we do what God has given us to do by the work that he has given us to engage. Think of it this way. God didn't have to include us in his task of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. He didn't have to say to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply in the production of children. He could have formed more people out of the dust. He could have snapped his fingers and the world would be populated. God can do this, right? But he said, no, I want you to join me in the task of populating this world and, 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 and being fruitful. You join me in the task. God didn't need Adam to name the animals. He didn't. God could have named the animals all on his own. It was not beyond him. But God came along and said, here is what I want you to do. Join me in the task of creating this beautiful thing. God didn't have to say to Adam and Eve, uh, you know, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, create the dynamic of culture and society. And He could have formed that all on his own. But he invited us in. So, you see, our work is literally joining with God in the creation of what is, of forming this world in the way that God wants it formed. Do you understand that? Everything you do is to that end. And work is spiritual, spiritual, not just because we share Jesus with people at work or because we live in a spiritually God-honoring way at work. Work is spiritual because of two reasons. Number one, uh, in it we become like God who worked. We become in that instance when we're expending energy and we're being productive and we're accomplishing things to, to create the society and the blessing in which people live. In that instance, we are, we are reflecting the image of a God who works and loves to work and continues to work to produce something incredibly good. 
And secondly, we, we, work is spiritual because we're doing what God, what God wants done. I'm going to explain that in a minute, but you are in your work. Whether you realize it or not, I would suggest you are serving God, you are accomplishing things that God really cares about. We're God-like and we're joining God in what God is doing in the formation of what is. Now I want to tell you, as a result, all work has dignity and has significance. Every single task, every single expression of work has dignity. You know, there is no undignified and demeaning task. It doesn't exist. Uh, some of you say, but Chris, you don't know what I do. I stand in a factory and I, you know, I put a, a, a nut on a bolt all day long. How's that meaningful and significant? Some of you might remember the show, I haven't seen it in ages, but Dirty Jobs, where that guy gets into the most disgusting sort of positions and he's got to clean things that are... Uh, nobody would want them. How, how is that dignified? How is that significant? Think about a, uh, a garbage collector. Sanitary engineer, they're now called, I believe. <clears throat> a lot of people would look down on that task. Think of it as undignified and demeaning. Maybe wouldn't even consider doing it because of that. What I want you to do for a little while with me is, is ask the question, what, what if these tasks didn't get done? What would, be, what would life be like? Well, I will tell you, if we didn't have people to pick up our garbage, there would be an onslaught of sickness and disease, maybe even plague. There would be suffering and death. And God does not want that in our society. God cares that we live a society free of disease and plague and suffering and death. So you know what? That garbage collector is doing a task of significance, and it has dignity as a result. He is serving God. And if you, that's your task, understand it. That's your work. Now, what did Jesus do? Sometimes, you know, I, I was reading some of these things, and it's kind of written from a professional perspective, and the author, I don't personally think this way, but some, he said sometimes professionals look down on people who work with their hands, the laborers. What did Jesus do for about 15 years? Can't be exact, but 15 years before he became a rabbi. He's a carpenter. He's a carpenter. He made things with his hands from wood so that he might bless the lives of people. Something which God would have celebrated. And I think of all the tasks, some of them represented among us of, uh, 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 that, that are, are in this world today, and I think about, does God care? And what would happen if they didn't exist? What about the medical profession, doctors and nurses, physiotherapists, occupational therapists? You know, th 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 what God is, is doing something through those people in order to bless and help those who are sick and make them well, and God cares about that. He really cares. What about teachers? We have lots of teachers in our, in our church. You know, the, the, there is this dynamic that has arisen in the last, you know, I don't know how many, 20, 30 years in our country where teachers who are Christians can't fair, share faith in Jesus, and some of us bemoan that to some degree. And it's almost as if, if I can't share Jesus, then how can my work be spiritual? I'm going to ask you this question. What are teachers doing like, in essence, what are they doing? Can I suggest to you they are caring for children and through the education of these kids they are forming lives and that God cares about those children and the formation of their lives? And what would happen if we didn't have Christian teachers doing this? 
What would be the, the, the lack and the, 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 the necessity? Of course it matters to God. Of course it is something of spiritual significance. We have counselors in our church. <laughs> and they too can't bring up faith unless their clients bring faith to the discussion. But you know what? God wants people healed emotionally. He wants the hurts in their lives to be addressed. God desires that kind of healing in them. You know, there's something called provenient grace or common grace. And Jesus said that the rain falls on the evil as well as the good. God cares about everybody. God cares that people who are wounded and broken, even if they don't know him, he cares that they would find healing. And if counselors accomplish that, they are serving God and it's a spiritual function. What about lawyers? Okay, there's one where there's no hope, right? <laughs> no. What would happen if we didn't have lawyers? There's a, a system of justice, isn't there? And it's born on the backs of those who are lawyers who make the system function. And justice hopefully prevails. And they're serving God because God is a God of justice and he wants justice for our society, right? What about farmers? I love this one. I'm going to take a little time because obviously there are lots of farmers in our church. Simple question. What would happen if we didn't have farmers? Answer, we'd all starve to death. Like, literally, where would your milk come from and your eggs and your bread and your meat? <laughs> and, and you know what farmers are doing is they're joining in the task that God has given to them. God promises to provide for us, even our food. <laughs> and you see, the reality is that farmers join God in the task of that provision so that God can provide for his people and for this world out of love and out of grace. And it's a spiritual thing to engage that task as a follower of Jesus. And think about it beyond this. Think about the people who produce the, the seed that is going to get planted by our farmers and who produce, produce the, the spray that's going to kill the weeds. Think about after the crop is taken off the land, the people who truck the food to wherever it's processed and the people who process it, people who bake the bread. And, and you know, the people who you know, set up grocery stores so we can go buy the food. And, and, the, and the guys and the, the gals who stock the shelves and the cashiers who sell us the food, it's a part of a provision of God so that society becomes what God wants it to be. We are blessed in this. And if you're a farmer, I want to tell you, this is a spiritual task that you engage for the Lord. You are partnering with God. Isn't that cool? And if you cook the food, as I look back at this corner, <laughs> what, you know, you're blessing people. You accomplish the things that God desires. And there are builders who build homes for us so we don't die in the winter from freezing to death. And there are people who own businesses. Oh, there are lots of business owners in our church. I want to tell you, every business provides a service that blesses the lives of people. And if it didn't, it wouldn't exist. And we are creating this thing. We're subduing the earth. We are continuing to partner with God to form the world to be what God intends it to be, what he longs for it to be, so that people's needs are met. And I just started thinking, I've mentioned some things about the reality of our church. You know, we have police officers in our church, cops, constable on patrol. What would happen if we had no police officers? It would be a lawless society. People would be killing each other and beating each other up right? They would, because that's human nature in the end, and there would be vengeance and violence. God doesn't want that. 
He just doesn't, and he calls some people to serve us to keep the peace. Peace officers, we call them. You know, people who engage in hospital administration to make those big hospitals function. We have politicians, and God says, I am placing those people. I am appointing them to lead you, to, to, to rule over you, and we are to pray for those people, aren't we? Because they're doing something God has given them to do so our society might be what society can be. We have people working in the aerospace manufacturing industry so that when we get on an airplane, we don't crash and die. That the parts are made incredibly well. We have engineers who design and make things for us. They bless the world. They do God's work. We have people who are personal support workers who are caring for the elderly. Don't tell me that's not a spiritual function. We have snowplow operators who clear our, 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 our parking lot in the winter and put salt on the ground so we all don't slip and, and, and break our hips and our legs when we come in here on a Sunday morning or otherwise. You think God wants this? You think this is part of what God desires for our world? And we have insurance people who are there for us when tragedy strikes to provide we have heavy equipment mechanics who keep factories functioning and ships operating on the Great Lakes and, 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 and salt production over in, um, uh, boy, I shouldn't have said that, over there toward Lake Huron. What's, who, where's the salt mine? Somebody help me. Godrich, thank you very much. It's amazing how stupid I can be at times. The, the difference between you and me is I get to show it to the whole world once in a while, right? But really, where does the salt come to put on our roads? Where does the salt come to put on our food to bless our lives? I could go on and on. People who are involved in the hospitality, hospitality vacation industry because God wants some people blessed with rest. Is rest important scripturally? You know it is. You see, every single one of us is serving God in the way that God has called us to engage in work. We are Filling the earth, yes, and we are subduing it and we are ruling over it by participating in the creative act of God in an ongoing fashion. And I can't name every task that you engage here. I can't. But I want you to start to view your work through a lens, a biblical lens, which says work is a spiritual function because God did it and he invites us in to do it and we are being like him. And we are serving not only society, we are serving God. Number two, we are accomplishing things God wants accomplished in this world. Now, how we do that work becomes very important, and that's the next couple of weeks. We're going to get there. You know, and I have to, by the way, exclude if you're part of the mob, uh, etc. <laughs> you know, there are some tasks that God might not want you engaged in. <laughs> you know, breaking legs for a living, etc. No, 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 no. And how we do it becomes incredibly important. But what I want to tell you is, my friends... Every, every person here, I assume, who will get up and go to work tomorrow morning, I want you to recognize that you are doing God's work. You are sharing in what he wants accomplished. And you are serving him just because of the work you do. Every one of you, including myself, I guess. So get up tomorrow morning and walk onto that farm or into that office building or into that grocery store. I don't, you know, whatever you do, walk into that place. And recognize you're doing something first and foremost for God as you participate in his creative act in a way that he has determined that you would. He has made you for this thing. He has made you for it. He calls you to it. And thus we call every, Protestants particularly, Reformed Christians like Presbyterian, big deal. You have vocation. You have calling. 
to the work that you do. And as a result, it is a spiritual function which honors your God. So go do it and do it well. Let's pray. Gracious God, uh, boy, we are just called to think differently so often when we dig into Scripture. We're called to think your thoughts, not our own. And Lord God, my prayer for our church is that over these weeks, you'll help us to uh, think very differently about our work. I pray, Lord, especially for those people here, probably about half of our church who doesn't like their work and wishes they didn't have to do it, that they begin to see it differently. Lord, even those people who do enjoy their work, let them understand that what we do together, all of us do Monday to Friday, is deeply spiritual because we're functioning like you. We're doing what you, uh, what you did. We're reflecting the image of God by giving our energy and our passion to be productive and to accomplish as we serve you and as we serve people in the, in the formation of our society and our culture. God, we, I pray with all of my heart, we pray together that you'll help us to realize that this is simply serving you. Lord, by getting up and serving you in our work every day, Monday to Friday, we're doing something that brings you pleasure, that honors you, is an, is an act of worship before you. So God, reform our thinking about this issue. Help us to shift uh, our paradigm, our understanding of what work is so that we can recognize, recognize that you've created us created us to do what you've called us to do and that in it we are truly honoring you worshiping you loving you serving you god i bless these people as they go to work tomorrow literally i pray that they will remember as they walk into their place of work as they engage what they do that this is an act of faith it's an act of love it's an act of worship that they are serving both you and people as they engage work tomorrow and help them to do it for you, not of love for people. God, this we pray in Jesus' name.